Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources to help your child thrive in school and in life. Please rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Hello, hello, everybody. Today, the Cypher has been blessed with a fellow entrepreneur, Miss Stephanie Moran Reed. Am I pronouncing your name right? I do not like masking people's names. <laughs> Moran Reed. Who is part of an entrepreneurial wife and husband team who has started a bookstore that I am loving right now. And hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, Mia Books. So there's actually two different pronunciations. We created the name based off of our daughter's first and middle name. Her name is Mireya Jamila. So the first pronunciation is Mija. Those are her first two letters of her first and middle name. But also, so if you spell that out, M-I-J-A, it's pronounced Mija. And that's a colloquial word for daughter in Spanish, which is my second language. So it has two meanings. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. So you can pick Mija or Mija. <laughs> Look, at least I wasn't wrong. <laughs> right. I immediately went to the Spanish word Mija. <laughs> yeah, most people oh, do. Oh, that is yeah. so cute. <laughs> I love names. I love them. I love to ask people like, why'd you pick that name? What does your child's name mean? It just speaks a lot to the journey. Yes, absolutely. So I was on your website because I always have to Google people. And <laughs> I saw that you're a cognitive what is it? Cognitive developmental? Yeah. So I have a Bachelor of Science in Cognitive Science, specialization in computing, and a minor in gerontology. So I took a lot of computer science courses, a lot of psychology. Some of my electives that I enjoyed were child development courses, but it was all always came back to the brain and how the brain forms, especially in early development. That was what I was interested in. And the computer science portion of it was just fascinating. My first passion was working with older adults. And that's actually the first company that I started upon graduating. And in the pandemic, I lost over 90% of my clients. And so I definitely had to pivot. And that's how Mija Books was born during the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> pivot, the pivot is Yes, well. absolutely. So how did you start? Like, do you just came with the idea or were you already doing something beforehand that you just grew into another idea? Actually, before our daughter was born, I always knew that I was going to create a home library for my future children. And I started purchasing books anywhere that I went. If I was at a museum gift store, when my husband and I would travel around the world and I would see really amazing books, I would just buy them and start collecting them and saving them, you know, in my closet for our future kids. So when our daughter came, we were starting to dust off those books that we were saving for her. And I wanted to grow that library and walking into traditional big box retailers and even searching online, I wanted books with characters that looked like her. She's Afro-Latina. I wanted books that celebrated her culture, books that celebrated other people's cultures and with you know children that looked differently. But unfortunately, I had a really tough time finding those books. 
And it was kind of infuriating, actually, to not see them on the shelves. And the fact that I had to do such a deep dive search for these books, they're out there, but you have to know about them. You have to have heard about the titles to be able to see them. And so in the process of collecting her books, my husband and I had the idea to create a website as a resource. So that's how we started is that we started writing book reviews of all of the books that we purchased for her. And in the spring of 2020 is when we launched our website and started publishing book reviews. And that's how the website started and the company started. But then in order to, as I said, I had to pivot my business, you know, as an entrepreneur, I needed to start making money again during the pandemic. So slowly we decided that we were going to build a children's bookstore. And as much as I want to have a brick and mortar, we couldn't do that during the pandemic. So we decided to start with e-commerce and that's where we are now. We launched in October of 2020. So we're fairly new and we're slowly growing, slowly trying to build our brand awareness. Social media has been a great help. Yeah, it's something. But what <laughs> yeah. I can say is, uh, so initially I was introduced to your bookstore from your publicist and it was during Valentine's Day. Yes, right. The, our so, Valentine bundle. <laughs> right. So I just happened to get, I think it was like literally... We were talking, so guys, we've been talking for a minute. Like mm-hmm, we've been right. talking, and it was such a small window. But I was like, "Oh well, until she gets back to me, I'm going to buy this bundle for my niece." And she lives in South Carolina. So when we get there for the trip, it's like the Sunday before. It's like that weekend before official right. Valentine's Day, right? And she's like, "It's for me. It's for me." <laughs> I don't know how. How old is your daughter? She's 21 months, so okay, not so two years yet. <laughs> yes. years, she's three, and everything is. For her. And um, <laughs> she opens it up. And I was so impressed. It was like the pink paper. It had the um, sticker on it and the books. Can I tell you guys, these books made me feel so warm inside. First of all, because it was a complete family and they were doing Valentine's Day activities together. And I was like, oh my <laughs> goodness. And yes. My brother was impressed and he's not that type of person. And <laughs> it had like these little stickers in it and had mm-hmm. like three books But it just made me feel so warm inside because I do have to agree, it is really hard to find books that are multicultural. You might see one, but it really doesn't speak to the depth of books that are Mm -hmm. out there. Um, I had written a blog post, like top 20 books about kids with uh, various disabilities. And literally, I couldn't find any. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. I actually had to go to other authors and ask them like, hey, everybody, who has a book about special needs kids. Mm -hmm. And it was so many. And what was really astonishing for me was that it wasn't just, you know, what people like to talk about the most. So like people like to talk about autism, Mm -hmm. but I have a book about someone who's deaf. I have a book about Tourette's. I was like, Tourette's? I didn't even think about Tourette's. (laughs) Right. And it was just like, Mm -hmm. oh, it was eye-opening experience, especially when I've been having conversations with authors who are writing books about like raising confidence in Black children or children of color. And one of the main things that MJ Fierre says is that it starts at your daughter's age. And when she said that, I was like, Like, they're just babies. Like, what kind of conversations are you having with with Mm -hmm. these babies? Mm -hmm. But she was saying that the more a child is able to see a representation of themselves in books and in stories in a healthy way, it helps them to create confidence and love of self. 
Absolutely. Yep. There's two things I want to say about what you just said. In my research and our connection with growing our social media audience and trying to find diverse books, we've actually connected and made really wonderful friendships, honestly, with independent self-published authors and Mm -hmm. indie publishers. And unfortunately, I've seen some stories, heard some stories about indie authors and the types of books that are coming out now that are just not being even accepted by major publishing houses. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the huge problem, right, in publishing statistics is that diverse stories are not at top of the list. (laughs) You know, there's a really fantastic resource called the CCBC. They're the Cooperative Children's Book Center. Mm -hmm. And they're like the definitive go-to source for statistics and research on publishing stats. They've been around, I think they've been doing it since 1985. And only in 2018 did they start including a deep dive look into books with children with disabilities and LGBTQ community, and even started to separate out categories. They used to have just an Asian category, but they've Mm -hmm. actually separated out Pacific Islander. And so if you look at The most recent statistics they have are for 2019. For the primary characters with disabilities, there's only 3.4% in over almost 4,000 books that they looked at. 3.4% represented a primary character with a disability. So, I mean, we know that that's just not an acceptable number, you know. But when self-publishers, you know, they have that freedom and that luxury to be able to tell the stories that they want to see and want to tell. So that has been a really awesome experience connecting with those types of authors. You're talking about seeing books with disabilities that are not the go-to disability. There's a mom that reached out to me recently. She was actually a stepmom. Her stepdaughter has what's called DUPE15Q. Mm-hmm. It's a neurodegenerative disorder. And she wrote a children's book for her stepdaughter that the intention is to introduce children, first of all, to people that are different than them, but also showing that this little girl that has Stoop 15Q likes the same things that other kids like, right? Mm-hmm. She enjoys life. She likes playing at the playground, but she happens to have this disorder at the same time. So it's called Marvelous Margot, that book. And yeah, I think that's been a really eye-opening experience is being able to connect with those types of authors, for sure. And the other thing that you mentioned about in the store, maybe only seeing one type of book, right, that has a brown person or a disabled character, that experience is infuriating to me, walking into stores and constantly seeing that. But equally infuriating is when you walk into a store and you see a section that's labeled African-American books, right, Mm -hmm. or like African-American history. And I have to step back and say, you know, imagine if I were a white child that's walking into the book section, right? What incentive do I have to walk directly to the African-American bookshelf? Why would I, right? When the majority Mm -hmm. of the store, you're going to have the animals and the white kids, right? So I think that needs to change. I think we need to get rid of those labels in the store. And we need to see an equal amount of representation on the bookshelves so that all children from all backgrounds can start to have these books in their library. And it's entirely normal. You know, it's not we're not just going to have this book for Black History Month. We're not just going to have this book for Native American History Month, you know. So those are definitely things that I've noticed even before we started 
this company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they can be a P. I've said used to because they some bookstores have gotten better and for adults. So for adults, mm-hmm. it used to really make me mad when I would try to find like Octavia Butler. And they would have her in the African American section. And at that time, I aged myself. So at that time, you know, 1999, 2000s, first of all, whenever you would go to get a book of anybody, like if you're not, if you weren't white, mm-hmm. if it was an Asian book, if it was mm-hmm. a black book, you might be lucky and they would have like that one little section for your book. Yep. But during that time, a lot of authors were coming out, a lot of black authors were coming out and most of their stories were more in alignment with like kind of like Tyler Perry type of books. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a disservice to Octavia to put her book in that section. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone who doesn't know, Octavia Butler is a science fiction writer. Yep. As far as I'm concerned, she's like one of the top of our time. Yes. But her books are really about people of color, like various colors. But not only that, it is about the human connection, how we interact and how we use the last color and our differences as ways of not getting along, of ways to mm-hmm. have power against each other. And here's another thing. On her covers, you could not tell it was a black book. Right. That was the thing. It was like they could have like literally put her in a science fiction book section mm-hmm. and no one, have, no one would have ever known. And it always used to pee me off. And I remember it was some other books that I like to read. And I go through periods. So I go through periods yep. where I'm like just reading Asian books. I go through periods where yep. I'm just reading. And whenever I would try to find the book, it was literally, I think Amazon had just taken off. So whenever I wanted yep. a book that was with other people in it, I would have to order it. Amazon, so me have books is like I think Amazon <laughs> for period books. And I went to Amazon first to try to find the books when I want to do the article. It was really, really hard. I found one or two. I literally Mm -hmm. had to find the authors to tell me, this is my book for me for it to populate on Amazon. But it really speaks volumes when you're able to see yourself. So for Mm -hmm. my kids, I wrote a kid's book. It's not out, but I wrote a kid's (laughs) book. The book is about a piece of autism. It's about Mm -hmm. anxiety. And it talks about, first of all, for me, my thing with parents is that we don't know and we don't know that we don't know. And then the other part is what we do is we allow people around us, specifically family members, to influence what our gut may be saying. Mm-hmm. So, oh, well, your child's not going to sleep because they're just playing around. They don't mm-hmm. want to go to sleep. Kids have nighttime anxiety. You don't know what anxiety is because we, we're a society. We're just stepping into mental health. We don't know what that is. So <laughs> that's what the book talks about. It talks about what it looks like when it comes, when a child's actually going through it. Um, and that's why I decided I wanted to find all of these different authors. And it took me a minute, but I was like, I was in awe of how many they were. And then I was kind of like confused because even in the description of the book, if the author hadn't told me, well, this book addresses, this one book is so good. It's for like middle school students and it addresses Tourette's, dyslexia, and some other diagnosis. But if Mm -hmm. you were to read the back of the book, you never would have known. And I was like, oh, okay. So did you leave it out or did you feel like someone wouldn't read your book? Right. It's interesting how... At first, I think book covers do matter, <laughs> right? Book covers matter. And definitely that little short description that's supposed to sell you the book absolutely matters. Is it Just Ask? Is that the book that you're talking about? The one by Sonia Sotomayor? Mm-mm. Okay. She specifically addresses Tourette's and, you know, autism. Wait a minute. What's her name again? Like a- <laughs> uh, her it's name? from the Supreme Court Justice, Sonia Sotomayor. I have that one here. Just Ask. 
So Sonia Sotomayor, the justice, she was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. And so she's written a couple of books now, I think, but that one specifically she wrote. And yeah, she essentially highlights different children with various disabilities and needs. And her message in that book is, I should preface by saying that it's actually been a controversial book in the children's world. So her premise in that book, as the title says, Just Ask, her message is for children without disabilities, when they see a child that is behaving weirdly or they look differently, right, or something seems off to that other child, her message is for that child to not be afraid to ask questions and Mm. to ask, you know, like, why are you making this noise or why do you like this instead of this, you know? And there are some people that I've seen in the social media circles that don't like that approach. They don't agree with Sonia Sotomayor's message of just feeling free to ask. But, you know, my thing with that is it doesn't hurt to ask, but as the person that's being asked, you don't have to answer, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling kind of, you know, in the divide. I can understand why people would be upset, but at the same time, it's about empowerment, mm-hmm. right? right? It's about empowerment for the mm-hmm. child. Now, depending on the age of the person that's being asked, then the question a parent would have to ask themselves is, do you not want them to ask the question of your child because you are not actually having conversations with your child about mm-hmm. their diagnosis? Mm-hmm. So that child has an existence with a diagnosis, but they're not aware it has a name. Mm-hmm. They're not aware that this is what comes with it. So someone asking that question brings out the fact that they have a difference. Yeah. So if you're from that place where you don't have those conversations, then you, yes, most definitely. It depends on how you're asking. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand the premise of her book is that basically we make assumptions. It's human nature to put a story to something that we don't understand. When my human nature kicks in, mm-hmm. I laugh. I'm saying, mm-hmm. okay, so like <laughs> this is the story that I'm going to say mm-hmm. is going to point in this picture. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm fully aware that may not be the thing. But in raising a new generation with this entire conversation where we are being honest, gaining clarity of this country's history, and I'm not ignoring what's going on. And I always tell my kids, you know, just ask, mm-hmm. just ask. And trust and believe, trust and believe, because my kids are on spectrum. They will ask questions. And here's the other thing about asking a question. Is it that the question is bad or is it that the question is not socially acceptable? Mm-hmm. So we were going to Dubai and we were in New York and we went to get something to eat. Mm-hmm. And the woman had a cockeye and her eye was like off to the side. Mm-hmm. So my son, he doesn't have like volume control. <laughs> but at the same time, he's way better. But back then you couldn't understand when he spoke. But I understand because that's what moms do. So mm-hmm. he was saying mommy was wrong for eye. Like he's pointing, mommy, what's wrong for I? And mm-hmm. I immediately did not consider that it was bad to ask the question. My whole thing, oh my God, you're not supposed to ask that. Right, right. Not, it's offensive to her. Right. But here's the question. Is it offensive to her or have I been socialized to the point where I feel it should be offensive to her? Right. It is a blunt ask, but- so- your son doesn't know why, right? He's not used to seeing that, and he legitimately wants to know why, right? <laughs> he wants to know why. So, yeah. I love the fact that she addressed, you know, everything. But at the same time, as a community, as parents, we need to ask ourselves why we are offended. Not saying 
can't be because you can do whatever you want to do. But why you are offended? And then once you ask yourself that, kind of unpack that. Because a lot of times, parents in general, your early experience with someone who says something to your child, around your child, you unconsciously start to build up, you know, this protection around them. What you don't want spoken, what you don't want them to hear. Mm -hmm. But But in all honesty... This is the world that they live in. Because I had an experience. It wasn't an ask. Because really, mm-hmm. I think <laughs> my son's cousin asked his mom, what's wrong with him? And that was <laughs> really nine years ago. And just now I realized that him asking that question really made me really protective of them. Right. And he didn't say it in a malicious way. Right. It just, for me, was like, oh my God, like, you're yeah. saying he's different and you're going to make him feel... <laughs> Right. I, and I, yeah. And I think that word wrong implies something that is not acceptable, something that shouldn't be, you know? So I think that's something that we need to teach children and the types of words that we choose. Because as you're saying, he definitely, something was different, but right. he used the word wrong instead. Right. right. I think so, we should, we need to teach right. children to not use that word. <laughs> right. It's like, Which goes back to the ask. Yeah. You have to teach them how yeah. to ask, how mm-hmm. to verbalize what they are trying to discover. Right. After like these last couple of years, I've learned to reframe the questions, you know, and I also explained to him like, okay, I understand you want to know, but it's not polite to point. And this is why this is. Mm-hmm. So it's that point of, self-actualization, like yes. self-realization, when kids mm-hmm. realize who they are, who other people are, and that there's differences. And there's yes. always going to be differences. It's not just yes. about disabilities, mm-hmm. color, culture. Um, that's one of the reasons I was, uh, you know, of course, I was on the site. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so far, it was just like, oh, I want that. Like, every time, <laughs> every time a PR person sends me something, I'm like, Oh, that's so nice. I want that. Have I ever been to the site outside of buying anything? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to discover on our website. And I think you mentioned this earlier, you know, that we need to start with these images at a much younger age. And that's part of the reason why we focus on baby board books as well on our store. Right now, we sell primarily baby board books and children's picture books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told you I took some child development courses and I'm, I'm just fascinated by brain development. So I'll tell you a story. When our daughter was born, I know that from visual development, that, you know, in the first year or so, a baby's vision is very blurry, right? So they Mm -hmm. can't really unpack everything that's visually in front of them. So what helps to develop their visual acuity is high contrast images. And so actually, you can do a search for these types of books. They're called high contrast baby books. And I purchased a few of those. And they're literally black and white is the highest contrast. So these books have black and white images in the children's books. And at the hospital, when she was born, we had these books for her. When she was in her little uh, bassinet, we would just prop up the high contrast books on the side of the bassinet in the hospital for her. And you notice right away that they pay attention to these types of books. You know, her attention automatically shifted to the high contrast because everything else around her is just a complete blur in the hospital, right? And so this high contrast, she was immediately enamored with it. And so those are the types of books that we introduced to her in the beginning stages in the first few months of her life. But I mean, we use that for her visual development. But as far as the other depictions of 
you know, diversity and multiculturalism, we are absolutely starting her with those types of books, even though she can't grasp the concepts of what it means, you know, to be a diverse or from a different country or know a different language. The fact that we're starting her off on that footing from day one, I think helps in this conversation that we're having about making sure your children are prepared with the background knowledge to be able to approach somebody and have respectful conversations with other mm-hmm. children, right? And so, you know, if that's all she sees and all she's used to is diversity, <laughs> then she doesn't know anything different, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's another reason why we focus on making sure that we have baby board books that are diverse and multicultural as well, you know, and we're on a constant search for them as well. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. When my brother, he's the baby, so you know, whenever mm-hmm. someone's the baby, they get all the things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's the baby. And when his wife, they had their first child and they were like, it's a girl. I was like, for the baby shower, I told everyone, I said, like, we're building a library for her. So, you know, if you can't bring anything, I need you to bring a book. Yep. I need you to find a book of a person of color for her library. And everyone was like, well, I can't find any. I was like, I'm going to help you find some. <laughs> I was like, because I need her to be proud of herself. I need her to see yep. images of herself. Mm-hmm. And um, when I can tell everyone that she's three and she's fully aware of yes. awesomeness. Yes. <laughs> um, she is a princess. And um, the other thing I love is that she's like, I'm Princess Madison. I am so pretty. I am smart. Mm-hmm. And whenever I go down there, we have our monthly trips to Disney. Yes. Get princess things. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a true joy because I do have a daughter, but she's 19. And mm-hmm. um, during that time, there weren't any books. I'm going to be honest. You know, yeah. all parents were like myself during those years. We were looking for any for real. <laughs> Right. We weren't really looking for them. We kind of thought, you know, by default, because you're yes. around your people, you don't yeah. need it. And right. now it's being, you know, like the statistics, the numbers, the fact that you are around your own culture is not helping because of the mm-hmm. consistent media stream of yep. negativity that's associated with people of color. And yes. I really do mean people of color. It's not, I'm a humanist. And my major Mm -hmm. is sociology. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I love people. I love the social dynamics of people. And I'm always looking at things from different angles, especially with American history. You know, Mm -hmm. we tend to focus on our stories and buy into the socialization or the demonology of another race. Just like right now, we're having this whole Asian conversation. They have been here Mm -hmm. a long time and Mm -hmm. this is nothing new. Not at all. This is not <laughs> new. And, yeah. you know, even when you have the conversation, when you said it, when you're talking about how now they have extended just like from Asian to Pan Pacific. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yes. Unless you really are paying attention, because instead of making assumptions, that's mm-hmm. just like the assumption that I'm looking at someone and their name happens to be Santiago. You must be Spanish. No, not necessarily. They could be Filipino. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was like, I'm so sorry. And it's not, I'm so sorry where like she wasn't offended. But for me, it's like I made an assumption Mm -hmm. and I shouldn't have, you know, so I'm becoming self-aware. But it's those conversations that are occurring that our kids get to really grow off of. That's what I'm loving about your site. And then you start talking about this visual development and I'm like that is true because there's mm-hmm. things that we know like when I was pregnant with my sons I was all about the books and I remember reading that but it was like oh 
okay. I didn't think, well, how can I help? (laughs) Right. Yeah. The application part. Right. Exactly. I know. And that's, unfortunately, I think that's a common issue is where, you know, every year there's thousands of published scientific articles about child development and brain development. But I think the disconnect is how does a layman see the application from that scientific research? I've had experience in writing scientific papers, you know, in college and working in a scientific lab. And I have so much respect for scientists and researchers, but because of how long it takes for your idea, for your study to finally come to fruition and be published and for the world to see it can be years, you know, sometimes more than 10 years before somebody gets to, before the world gets to hear about your research. And that just wasn't the life for me. (laughs) So, you know, I can tell you definitively that I've been there and I couldn't take that route. It's because of the scientists and the research and their dedication that we now have so many things in the world, you know. So I think that's definitely a disconnect. And that's part of what I loved doing in my work with seniors. I specialized in helping seniors with Alzheimer's and dementia and memory care issues. So I took all of that and essentially created programming that helped their cognitive development, but approached it in a way that was accessible to them and their families, you know. But yes, I definitely agree when you see that the news is always reporting on the latest study and you hear about it and you're like, oh, that's interesting, and then forget about it the next day, right? (laughs) It's like, how do we apply that? So definitely in children's books, you know that you need high contrast images to keep their attention. That's number one. The other thing that I wanted to make sure I mentioned is that we need more books with black and brown and Asian characters that are simply having fun, right? (laughs) There are so many books that are by black, brown, and Asian characters that are about our history, that are about our trauma, right? Mm -hmm. That are intended as sort of a validation of that past history and trauma. And I agree I think it's great that those books are out there. We definitely need them. But we need also more books about Black mermaids and, you know, Latino superheroes and, you know, just kids being kids, you know, and not a mention or a highlighting the fact that they are Black or Brown or Asian, you know. You can mention that in their family story, their culture, you know, celebrating a food that they're cooking with their family. But I think just seeing joy, pure joy in a children's book makes that book accessible to all children, right? Not just that specific ethnic group or culture that you're trying to highlight. I would say those types of books, there are not as many out there, and I don't see as many as I would like. And that's part of the reason why my husband and I have future plans to one day publish our own books. And those are the types of books that we would want to see published, for sure. Oh, I love that. I have a book for you when we get off. (laughs) (laughs) That really made me think. And what I connected with that is why I did love one of the books for the Valentine's Day. It was like the mom, the dad, and the little girl. And they were just doing Valentine's yes, Day right. activities. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. And then it was another book. I think it was more cultural. And I was kind of like, oh, it's cool. But I really loved the book where it was like everyday life and mm-hmm. just enjoying life because it doesn't always have to be about the struggle. And, you know, we're regular people. Every, you know, mm-hmm. we need a break. Yes. And, and, then, <laughs> and if you really think about your childhood, you had breaks, even if it wasn't the breaks that other people see. You could be playing hide and seek. 
And even that is a tale. That's like a story. Like for me, it was a story. We played hide and seek and we had a door that had like glass panes. Uh-oh. Yeah, so you already know where the story went. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't seek. And then we, we were playing cops and robbers, and I put him yeah. in jail. That was the jail one. So I put yeah. him in jail, and then the door got stuck. It was just saying the pain got broke. But for a story for mm-hmm. children, that's an awesome story right. filled with joy. And right. I just really connected with that. And yes. it really does explain to me why some books – with people of color I am attracted to mm-hmm. and others, I'm like, oh, this is hard in the paint. This yes. is yes. hard in the paint. It's not that I don't want to connect with that, but it's kind of like, mm. Right. Yeah. It's- and that's the same for media, you know, movies and TV shows. There's been so many amazing movies and films that are being made by diverse creators. But, you know, my husband and I say this all the time, you know, we'll see this new project out. And I remember specifically with the Ava DuVernay project, Central Park Five, my husband were like, we know that story. It was awful. It was atrocious. I don't know if I want to see this. <laughs> you know, like I have no doubt that Ava DuVernay did an amazing job with this project. And I tried the first episode. I had to turn it off. I just can't. And my husband always says when he sees these projects, he's like, I'm sorry, but this is for a white audience. At least it should be for a white audience that doesn't know, right? That doesn't know the history of the story at all, even in some cases, for them to really see in the media what happened. And it's just for someone like him and I, we don't want to be put through that again because we know what happened. That's, I feel like the same with, like you're saying with children's books, children's stories, your subconscious, you know, like you're more attracted to just stories of joy, <laughs> you know, and that's across the board when it comes to different types of media. Absolutely. I'm like, sometimes you need to speak to people to understand like yeah. why you feel a certain way mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how you husband feel. I didn't watch it either. I did yep. not watch that movie at all because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, I yeah. And like I said, I tried. I turned the it's first episode angry. on. It's not, it's not like I get angry. Right. It's more of, it's like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to be in a certain mindset when you watch something like that. You know, like I'm absolutely going to be angry when I'm watching this. I'm going to be traumatized. I'm going to be sad. I might start crying. Like I don't want to, you have to be in a certain mindset, especially during the pandemic. You know, we didn't want to watch any of that sort of stuff. <laughs> Like, you know, it's like, give me the sci-fi, give me the spaceships and exactly. the Mars stories. And, and that in itself is a testament. Yes. I was watching 12 Monkeys. Have yes. you ever heard of 12 Monkeys? Yes. And someone was like, why are you watching a series about a pandemic and you're in the middle of the pandemic? And I was yeah. like, do you understand this thing is like the best thing ever? Right. And that you need to get your mind right, right. and that you need to do A, B, C, and D. And I was like, are you serious? I was like, I'm so serious right now right (laughs) but i am but that's what i'm gonna try i like sci-fi i love Mm -hmm. korean dramas i love things that are so out of my reality pocket like Mm -hmm. this you know but even with that is even when you watch things to be self-aware stephanie i love korean dramas you understand me i have memberships i can watch them (laughs) okay um and i stalk them as well okay the best thing netflix ever did for me right yeah was to start investing in them so now that they're showing the same time that they're showing in Korea. I'm going to say how hard in the paint, y'all, I watch these. I know what time it is in Korea when I wake up in the morning because I know what time the show is about to drop and that it will be on my simulcast. That's dedication right there. But, but, but you know, it's like, you have to have your show. So it's like, yes, 
right. one show. Right. But where I was going with it is this, is when I watch the shows, I'm looking and I'm like, do Korean people really act like that? Mm-hmm. Like, do they really act like mm-hmm. that? I have an aunt who's Korean. And I'm like, yeah. I don't think so. And then as I was having my thoughts, I was like, okay, so this is what happens when people are watching the shows about other people of color. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that is how black people act. When you're looking at a Hispanic right. show or the telling yeah. the that's what they act like. Right. And, you know, unless you have some kind of connection, you know, or you know someone. And I was like, oh, so this is the trap. This is when you yeah. get confused right, right. <laughs> yes. about what's going on. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-mm-mm. And it's the same thing with books. I mean, the earlier you can show your child that there are different people, different mm-hmm. cultures out there, not what they see on the media, the better it is for everyone. But I wanted to, before we go, you know, I have, to, I have my question, but I'm just so impressed with the website. So I have to talk about the way on your website you have, I don't know if these are your titles or this is just how you decide to do the main page, but you have, so when you go to her main page, when you go to the main page of the bookstore, it says children's books with a female lead character of color. Children's books with male lead characters of color. Children's books with ethnically diverse characters, lead family of color, being mixed raced, textured hair, black and brown skin. You have STEM books with lead characters of color, and then children's books about notable people of color. And I just wanted to say, I love the way that you broke these books down. My son is like, he's becoming more aware and mm-hmm. he's in class. And they were talking about what books they're going to read. And the teacher was saying, this is the next book we're going to read. He asked her, do you have any books about Black people? And her response was, well, I need to find some. And she kind of like wanted to move on. And he said to her, no, no. Like, do you have books with Black characters in them? And her response was, I can help find some. But my son doesn't, he doesn't operate from that. So he was like, (laughs) you know, Black people, like Muhammad Ali. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Let's be real specific. Her answer was not sufficient right. to him. She actually did find a book, which was interesting. I was impressed that she found the book. I wasn't necessarily impressed with the book. I was like, oh, this is not interesting at all. And my son didn't like the book. But she took his kudos for trying to find one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Right? So then yeah. this conversation, so I'm offered, you know, I'm putting it out there into the universe for everyone, not just a conversation between me and Stephanie, is I think she chose the book because my son is cognitively on a reading level. My son is like fourth grade reading level. Actually reading, he's like first grade reading level. That means you have to find a book that reading comprehension mm-hmm. is going to hold his attention, but the words are going to be at, you know, on first grade level. And I think that's what she was looking for. So it would be interesting to see a development of authors who are writing for kids who are like my son or writing for kids who have dyslexia or just like read. So here's my little tidbit about dyslexia, guys. Let's put it out there. I feel like when the United States decided to stop utilizing phonics to read and move to sight reading, it's done a disservice 
to a lot of children when it comes to reading. And when you look at books that are based on phonemic awareness, and I, Stephanie, I don't know if you have any of these books on your bookstore, mm-hmm. it's very hard to find it. I haven't been able to find any phonemic awareness books that had multicultural characters. I had a guest on my show, actually at the beginning of this season, and he said, you're more likely to see an animal character yeah. uh-huh. than a person of color. Right. Yeah, I have those statistics. Out of the primary characters, it's 29.2% of books are about animals or other things like trucks, monsters, pencils, right? Over 29%. Black characters are 12%. Latinx are 5%. Indigenous, 1%. Asian American, 9%. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then when we start talking about these books for children who are having not even reading challenges, because I don't want to make this about children who are dyslexic. I don't want this conversation to be about children who are having issues reading. When you start reading, okay, your parent is helping you or you're at school. This is an entry point introduction to yourself in some ways. So when you're trying to learn how to read and the character in the book, you can't even connect with that can be a hindrance or something that slows you up. You can't connect with the story. You can't connect with the characters, you know, and you're trying to read this book, I think, to have a holistic experience. Yeah. I mean, I think the closest, I need to do more research on those types of books that you're looking for, but the early reader series, you know, those, we have some of those in our store and there's a few different series that focus on early reader type of books and they're intentionally created for children that know the alphabet, can say the alphabet, can read some words, but the text in the books are larger, they're bold, and then they have a step-by-step levels. Usually it's one, two, and three levels. And each of those levels are made for various reading comprehension levels, right? So the higher ones incorporate more complex plots. The early ones are just going to be very simple sentences and simple words, but they all still incorporate really bold text to make it easy for kids who want to read or learning to read or have trouble reading. So that's the closest that I can think of that, you know, yeah, the early readers that we have on our website, they all have characters of color (laughs) because those are the only books that we, that we have in our store. So we have a whole category called early readers and we're starting to add more of them. We have a few there right now, but I think those are probably the good place to start is with early reader series. Oh, that's good to know. Because it's hard yeah. to find that too. Because I've been to the bookstore and I'm like, okay, let's see if we can find, you know, some books. And usually the storylines aren't engaging. And then, like I said, he has that variance, his reading comprehension mm-hmm. versus like his actual ability to read. So trying to find that, but he's just like, this is boring. He's like, I don't want to read about that character. And then, right. like I said, with that particular book, the teacher chose, I know why she chose the book, but I have to ask the question when she was trying to find the book, was she limited in availability of what she oh, could yeah. actually find? Right, right. Um, was it more of like, oh, because I know Stephanie knows what I'm about to say, is when you're on here trying to find a specific thing, when it comes to people of color in the books and Amazon, mm-hmm. it's not what you think. You think, you would assume if I typed in Black children's books, a lot would come up. If I said, well, Black children's book with disabilities, a lot will come up. That's not what happens. You really do have to dig. Yes. And I am so glad that you're having a relationship with authors because that's the only way I was able to come up with my list was mm-hmm. through authors. And I don't know if it's the algorithm. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that algorithm. <laughs> right. Because what I also found was very interesting was when I was trying to find books, like even 
she's like three years ago when I was trying to find the books for my niece, only certain books would come up. And then you know how like usually once you start looking at a particular thing on Amazon, it'll stop populating something similar. That yep. didn't occur. Right, right. Yeah. It would occur on some type of books. It's weird. Right. I definitely think it's algorithm issues. Yeah. When it gives you related books and you start going down a rabbit hole trying to search for <laughs> those type the books that you're actually looking for. Yes. I've spent countless hours. When we first started Mija Books, spent countless hours on that type of search for sure. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. So this is Parent to Cypher. So parody cipher means it's a nod to hip hop cipher mm-hmm. where we build off each other's knowledge and experience. And because it's the nod to hip hop, I always ask people what's their favorite song, hip hop song specifically. But yes. I had to switch it up because I have like various ages on my show. So or the song, <laughs> I have one woman and she was like, Gil Scott Heron, Save the Children. I was like, okay, let's rock with it. Let's rock with it. <laughs> so I started to ask people like, or just the song that motivates you. Yes. So I was excited when you first told me about this because first of all, the song that I'm picking is Yayo by Erica Badu. Anytime I hear that song, it's just like this sort of other world experience when I put on Yayo, right? It grounds me, but also connects me with the moon, the stars, like she says in the song, you know, it puts me in a really comfortable headspace when I hear that song. But also when our daughter was coming into the world at the hospital, I wanted to play music during my birthing process. And so there was one album that I wanted to play. And when I was thinking about what I would want to choose for my birthing process, I chose Baduism. And I had it on repeat. My labor was like 21 hours. So I had it on repeat for 21 hours at the hospital. And, you know, the doctor was totally cool with us having music on in the background. So she came into the world listening to the queen, Erica Badu. And, you know, from day one, she absolutely loves Erica Badu and hip hop. My husband is also a music producer. So Oh, and, and he, yeah, he specializes in hip hop and making hip hop beats. So he's her number one critic and her number one fan at the same time. It's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. This is the last episode of season two, The Space of Possibilities. And I'd love to take this time to thank everyone for listening to this season. I appreciate you all. And for some of us, it's summertime. For some of us, not. But regardless, happy summer. You made it. (laughs) You made it. You made it through the virtual school, partial in school, COVID school. So take this summer to rest up. Make sure you get some sleep. Find that one thing that's going to nurture you so that you can nurture your child. Till next time. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please subscribe and go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. The Parenting Cypher podcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and the executive producer, Myself, Jeannie Dawkins, 
Until next time, remember to be patient with yourself and your child.